Every little mustard seed tells a story. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of July 26, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Jesus' understanding of the inbreaking power and presence of God is rich and multifaceted. Simply using bullet points, charts, or systematic theology does not enable us to fully understand and enter into the kingdom of heaven that we hear about so often on the lips of Jesus. In order to herald the redeeming work of God in our midst, Jesus uses short stories about yeast or seeds or a net. Join Rev. David Pelegi as he examines in greater detail how the seemingly insignificant imagery of first century life challenges and encourages us at this time. Are you blessed by our teaching audio? Are you joining us virtually on Facebook or YouTube? We're so glad to have you walking through these difficult days with us. Let us know you are watching or listening by sending us a message on Facebook or by making a donation to the church, the Mercy Fund, or other projects listed on our website, ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Now, Canon Daryl Fenton will start us off with prayer. I'd like you to join with me uh, in the collect. It's an ancient prayer, 500 years old at least, first prayed by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. It's come down as a precious prayer to all of us who love God's Word. So pray with me aloud, please. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Our first scripture tonight comes from a famous passage many of you will know from Sunday school days. An encounter between God the Father and the young King Solomon, taken from the third chapter of the first book of Kings, beginning at the fifth verse. And Solomon, sorry, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. And I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, 
nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your, of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. A reading from Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. And he said to them, therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that in your mercy that you would send amongst us the spirit of Jesus so that he may be our teacher as he taught the disciples and the apostles and has taught many down through the ages. We pray that he will be our teacher tonight, that his spirit will be here amongst us that we will be encouraged, that we will be challenged, and Lord, that we'll truly be full of awe and wonder the way he's working in our midst and throughout the world in which we live today. Come, Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask this for his sake, the sake of Jesus the Messiah, and the sake of his kingdom, amen. So I'd like to um, 
start by um, just talking about uh, something uh, personal, because I think it, uh, my experience uh, is one that's shared by many uh, throughout um, the evangelical world. And when I first became a Christian in 1974 in the city of Tampa, Florida, I came to the Lord in my last year of high school, and it was through a uh, very, very fundamentalist youth movement. And uh, this youth movement was, um, in some ways, it certainly was used by the Lord, and I'm very, very grateful. But at the same time, it left a legacy in my life, a spiritual legacy that I had to overcome. And it wasn't very easy to begin with because while this group certainly was um, active in introducing uh, many to Jesus, they were also, as I said, they had a very simplistic uh, view of life and a very simplistic view of the gospel. And uh, they had easy answers for everything. And I remember the leader of the youth movement, of the group, he actually um, had a book. And if you asked him a question, you know, are you saved by works? And he would open to page 724 and he would read you the answer. And it was very simple and you couldn't argue very much. Well, what about the Catholics? Well, he would open to 619. Uh, what about people who believe uh, in evolution? And pretty much the gospel became bullet points. Yes, the gospel was about charts and graphs and uh, little simple uh, answers perhaps to life's you know, very, uh, very complicated questions. And one thing I noticed after a while, even as uh, a young believer, is that while we were told that we must trust Jesus for our salvation, which is fair enough, at the same time, we never talked about Jesus, or we rarely studied Jesus, or we didn't consider his words, or we didn't consider, uh, certainly didn't consider his parables. Every answer seemed to come from the epistles of St. Paul. Now, I don't want to make a a division, as uh, it is now sometimes done, between Jesus and Paul. I think it's a very poor way to interpret the scripture. But at the same time, if we say, yes, that Jesus is our Messiah, and that Jesus is the Lord, Yes, and that uh, ultimately we will be judged by his words. Surely it behooves us to know something about his life and to know his teaching really, really well. But I started off in a place, again, where we had a systematic theology, we had bullet points, and we had the gospel became weaponized Yes, to use in a way against other people. And it did take me a while to learn what the last pope said. 
when he was talking about Christianity. That was Pope Benedict XVI. And Pope Benedict said that Christianity is not a philosophical system. Yes, I'm paraphrasing. I hope he, I hope he won't mind. It's not systematic theology necessarily. It's not simple bullet points with some graphs and charts. He said it is a divine encounter. It is a love story. It is a love story. And what I noticed about my group, and I notice about a lot of preaching, yes, is that it tends to be very didactic, and it tends to be very abstract where throughout most of history and much of revelation, God shows himself. Yes, he reveals himself in what? In stories. Yes, this is a storybook. It's a storybook, it's a history book of a family. It's about God's relationship first with the Jewish people and then it's about God's relationship uh, with us because we're included or we're brought into that story. And it's actually stories that nourish the human soul. It's stories that instruct us. These stories, even if they happened a long time ago, still give us guidance and direction. Yes, if we allow them to, because in many church circles, Yes, we don't take seriously what we call, unfortunately, the Old Testament. It's re relegated to the Sunday school class. And we end up, yes, maybe reading from the epistles or reading about Jesus. And, uh, and again, I don't want to demean the Pauline epistles especially. You know, they're, they're a part of scripture and they're a part of uh, revelation that we certainly need to take, uh, we need to take seriously. Yeah. But unfortunately, the story gets lost. That big story gets lost. And it's, I don't think it's an accident, is it? That one third, one third of the teaching of Jesus is done how? It's done in stories. It's done in parables. And the question is, do we take those stories seriously? Do we allow them to, again, nourish us and guide us and instruct us? Do we look for the different layers and levels in those stories and think about how we might apply them to our lives and our situation? or sometimes we can make them a little more contemporary. And so we have in chapter 13, lots of stories about, yes, about what? About the kingdom of heaven. This is perhaps, the, you might say, this is the, the favorite, Jesus' favorite subject. It's the thing that he talks about over and over again. And even when he talks about the Sermon on the Mount or, or issues such as forgiveness, almost always done in the context of the kingdom of heaven. 
And because the kingdom of heaven, yes, because the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus understands it, has more than one dimension to it. Yes, it's multifaceted. It's rich. It has different ways of understanding it. It's a little bit like a diamond. You ever take a diamond and you put it up and you turn the diamond, yes, and you can turn it uh, and, and look at that diamond from different angles and you see something new. And many times we want to just say, give me the simple answer. I want you to tell me what the kingdom of heaven is. Chop, chop. Tell me it's about some future. Tell me it's about a denomination. Tell me it's about the return of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, it's, not, it's none of these things. It's so rich. It's so exciting. It has a, so many angles to it. I'm going to explain it to you in stories. Now, the kingdom of heaven, the, the idea, the concept, technically, it's certainly not the invention of Jesus or the New Testament. As a technical term, it's something that the Jewish Bible teachers and Jewish commentators, you know, they, they pulled out of Scripture maybe 100 years, 150 years, perhaps a bit more before Jesus came onto the scene. And by the way, this is what a, one of the sayings or the way that Jesus ends, um, the ch- well, the, the way the chapter, well, the way that Jesus ends our reading, let's put it like this. He said to his disciples, he said, therefore, every teacher of the Torah, yes, who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, yes, those Bible teachers or pastors or those who are discipling uh, others, and you don't have to be some uh, grand, uh, you have some grand position in the church, you know, to be a teacher. Yes, everyone who understands the kingdom of heaven, they are like what? They are like the owner of the house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. New treasures as well as old. And here, this goes back to the point of why the story of the Hebrew Bible is so important. It's because Jesus is building on, he's fulfilling, yes, what's come come before him, what's written down in in the Hebrew scriptures. He doesn't do away with it. He doesn't throw it out. It's certainly not dismissed because it is God's word and it's God's revelation. He doesn't say something like, well, you know, the, the God of the Old Testament, he was some kind of a bad guy, but when we come to this new era or this new epoch, you know, this, this God is going to be, you know, somehow different. No, there's a continuity. Yes, the heritage of Israel, their scripture, the revelation, the way that God has dealt with them in the past, that, all, that is all very good. But Jesus comes along, and especially in Matthew chapter 5, when he talks about he has not come to uh, cancel, or to, he has not come to misinterpret the Torah, the law, but to interpret it properly, is saying, I have the authority, yes, to give all of this heritage, 
all of this revelation, I'm going to give it its right meaning. And so the Bible is good. The Old Testament is fantastic. Because people are always asking me, what do we do with the Old Testament? It seems violent or it just seems irrelevant. You know, issues about blood or, you know, leprosy. What does this have to do with us? And it's very clear. We cherish the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, but we understand it and we read it through, yes, the, uh, through the life and teachings of Jesus the Messiah. And so Jesus takes a Jewish concept, yes, and he starts to explain it in a fuller way. He starts to unpack it in a way that it's never been done before. And I think one of the things that, that, are, that is worth, uh, could be challenging for us, is just to consider a very small uh, part of our, of our reading. And I'll start down in verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like, yes, the kingdom of heaven is like many things. And now he's going to say that, and now he's going to tell us the following. And this comes after uh, Jesus telling us that the kingdom of heaven, as wonderful as it is, suffers opposition from Satan. And that the kingdom of heaven also uh, you might say, doesn't advance or doesn't progress because human beings have the, have the uh, choice or the freedom uh, to say no. And that was the parable, of course, of the seeds. But despite this opposition, despite, uh, you might say, human shallowness or despite the fact that uh, human beings uh, that our concerns can be uh, about our, our, our life, our anxieties can uh, easily uh, push out the message of God. Jesus says the following, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air, yes, come and perch in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So what Jesus is telling us the following. He's saying a lot of people are opposed that the kingdom of heaven uh, uh, is set back or there's opposition, but the kingdom of heaven is like something very small. It's like this mustard seed. I mean, you can barely see it. Yet, that mustard seed is powerful. It starts small and it continues to grow. It almost reminds me of COVID or Corona. You can't see this germ yet, but somehow it has challenged the entire world. And that's true with this, this, the kingdom of heaven. Now, maybe we better stop because what is this kingdom of heaven? What is this thing that starts out small? It is the inbreaking presence and inbreaking power of God into the lives of the human family. Wherever God is coming in through the 
the Spirit of Jesus. Wherever God is making himself present in our lives, whenever God is taking control and exercising his authority in our lives, and by the way, he does that when we willingly submit to him. He does that when he heals. He does that when demons are cast out. He does that when there's reconciliation or peace between people and so on and so forth. Yes, this power, this presence, which comes through Jesus, starts off small in the world, but it's going to grow and it's going to expand and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the kingdom of heaven is also, as we know in scripture, and some of you when we were last week in uh, Galilee, we discussed this, the kingdom of heaven is a movement. It's a group of people who have made Jesus king. It's uh, a group of people who are um, uh, following Jesus Yes, and submitting themselves. And so sometimes Jesus calls his movement the kingdom of heaven movement. And that movement also is expanding. It's also growing. You may recall, if you've ever been to the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, you've ever been to the Mount of Beatitudes of Ca or Capernaum or Chorazin, um, the movement, the Jesus movement, doesn't have a lot of people. Maybe it's 70, maybe it's 120, who knows? 2,000 years later, how many people call Jesus Lord? Two billion. Now most of us have issues and we're not perhaps a kind of disciples that we all should be, but two, two billion people call Jesus Lord. Can you see what's happening here? His kingship. His movement is expanding. Now, what's the challenge in all this? Well, first of all, what's the encouragement? The encouragement is, is that we can look around, and whether it's in Australia or the United States or other parts of the Western world, and we see great apostasy. We see people leaving the church. We see people abandoning, you know, the Christian tradition or the Christian worldview. And we say to ourselves, oh my goodness, the glass is, you know, is half empty. And yet at the same time in places like China or places like Iraq or uh, southern Algeria, yes, what's happening? The Holy Spirit is on the loose. And millions of people, yes, are coming to faith and calling Jesus Lord. And so the glass isn't half empty. The glass is half full. And so we should be careful, you know, to, that we don't lapse into a pessimism or even kind of a defeatism or even lose confidence in the power of the gospel. Yes, we need to see the big picture. But the challenge in all of this is as follows. The challenge is as follows, yes. That the kingdom of heaven is... Again, like this mustard seed, or it's like this yeast. And the challenge for us would be, yes, as this is expanding, as more and more people are coming into the movement, what are we doing? 
Are we partners? Are we participating in this movement? Are we partner, partnering, cooperating with the Holy Spirit and doing the work of the kingdom of heaven? You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, yes, seek first what? The kingdom and his righteousness. I don't necessarily, I don't think we have time for this, but that's a, par it's a Hebrew parallelism. And if you want a translation or a dynamic translation, it would go like this. Seek first God's big agenda. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness, God's righteousness is in this case, uh, it isn't about some moral standard. It's about God's goodness and God's faithfulness. It's about the way that God is uh, uh, providing and healing, uh, yes, and uh, and uh, being, you might say, good to his people. And so Jesus tells us, look, major on the majors. Yes, major on the majors. And we have to ask the question, you know, are we focused on the kingdom of heaven or are we arguing about, spending a lot of time arguing about the, the carpeting in the church? or about my place on the committee, or about the fact that I don't like the music and the music team. I don't like rock and roll. I don't like hymns. And boy, we argue and fight about all kinds of things. Yes, we major on the minors, but are we majoring on what's important? Jesus said to, in that, both Matthew and in Luke, he tells his disciples, go, yes, and preach the kingdom of heaven, heal the sick, cast out demons, so on and so forth. So I think that's, that's challenge number one. Are we part of this expanding movement or are we um, bystanders in one way or another? Or are we caught up and uh, somehow caught up, caught up in something that's not important. Secondly, yes, this expanding, you might say, this expanding influence yeah, uh, is not just about the uh, quantity, about the numbers of people, but it's also about a certain quality. Can't, we, we should all ask ourselves the question, is Jesus more in control of me today than he was five years ago? Is Jesus more in control today than he was 10 years ago? Is his kingship, his authority, yes, is it expanding in my life, life or are we stuck? Maybe some of us, yes, are going backwards. Are we stuck because uh, we're still not in a place where we can actually believe that God is good and that we can trust him with our lives? Are we stuck because of our addiction of one kind or another? Are we stuck because maybe we refuse to obey? Are we stuck because we have a trauma or a hurt that somehow continues to block you know, God's spirit in our life.
Yes. That's what this little, uh, you, you almost can't call it a parable. It's almost like a word picture about yeast and, and leaven. This is how, surely this is how it should challenge us. And I think maybe there's one more challenge, especially for the age in which we live. I think many of us are looking for the magic bullet. We're looking for the instant cure. We are looking for the shortcut. We're waiting for that revival. That revival's gonna come and it's gonna change millions of people. And God is doing a new thing and he's mobilizing his people. And I hear this talk and sometimes this talk is uh, very triumphalistic. Yes, we're all waiting for this thing to happen. My dear friends, it may happen, but I'll tell you, it's no substitute for the hard work of discipleship. And it's in discipleship when we're in relationship with, the, with each other that they're like the, like the mustard seed, like the yeast, you can't always see it growing, you can't always see the dough expanding. Yes, that's where we have conversion and transformation. And we should be careful, you know, that we want to shortcut this process. It is indeed true that sometimes the Holy Spirit works in our lives and a miracle happens. And I don't know how many people I know who will tell me, yes, I used to be a drug addict. I used to be sexually addicted. I used to beat my wife and God set me free. And you know what? Um, every single one of those people who can give me that wonderful, marvelous testimony, they're still in the process of being transformed. Sometimes it happens in an instant, but oftentimes it takes effort and hard work. And when we make that effort, of course, the Father comes and meets us and helps us. Those same people who have been addicted to, who've been freed from drug addiction, you know, have a temper. You know, that they still can't control after so many years. Those same people who were uh, uh, addicted to, to pornography, you know, have an eating disorder of one kind or another. Yes, so conversion, yes, which takes place in the context of discipleship and always starts with repentance, certainly takes time. Certainly takes time. By the way, human beings are always, always looking for the, for the shortcut. It all started in the garden. It's not just something that we can blame on the church. There's always a political movement or a cultural movement that wants to force or impose its will upon us, yes, and wants to somehow change us. So, for example, you know, we had the... We had uh, 100, starting 100 years ago, if not more, we had Marxism. And uh, Marx, uh, uh, communism took over, took over countries like China, Eastern Europe, the Soviet Union. And as a way of trying to eradicate human nature and trying to create a new person, they used force. And in the process of using force, they killed millions of people. Millions of people. 
whether it was in the Soviet Union or whether it was in China. Communism fell, and guess what? <clears throat> was there any substantial transformation and change in, in people? Absolutely not. Yes, and people have gone back to, you know, their same old, you know, same old, uh, sorry, <clears throat> human nature. And so transfer, transformation must, yes, be an issue of the heart, and sometimes it takes time. It takes time. And that's why Jesus doesn't come and force people. Yes. He, uh, he gives us the freedom and the opportunity, yes, to indeed to change. And so if we ask the question, how is it, uh, how can we um, ensure, or what can we do to make sure that Jesus, yes, is more in control or more in charge, is uh, ruling and reigning, you might say, yes, in a stronger way or a more substantial way in our lives, yes? So shall we just read the Bible more or maybe just try harder? I think that we have some good clues, if you might call them that, uh, from, the, from, the chapter, from chapter 13, okay? And chapter 13 tells us, says the following, or give, points out a few, of the, uh, a few things that I think that, that might be important. One, all through the chapter, there is this emphasis that Jesus puts on listening, hearing, understanding. Now the words may be in Greek, but certainly, yes, those, uh, Jesus was uh, a Hebrew speaker, did some of his teaching uh, in Hebrew. Jesus did not, uh, like many Americans uh, or, or English people, did not know, know one language. He knew more than one language. And if you take the concept listen uh, from the um, uh, Hebrew Bible or from Hebrew itself, uh, to listen means to yield or to obey. And so when Jesus says uh, the following, he's, uh, in verse 9 of uh, chapter 13, he who has ears, let him hear. Yes, if you're understanding what I'm saying, yield to this, obey this. Um, and then down, uh, for example, um, in, it says, uh, and he tells them uh, a parable, and uh, this parable about the, the seed on, that's thrown on the rocky ground, etc., etc. It says, uh, but the one who received uh, the word uh, that fell on the good soil is the man who hears. Yes, it's the man who obeys the word and understands it, and he's, that man is fruitful. Um, Again, in verse uh, 43, he who has ears to hear, let them hear, let him hear. Um, in verse 51, getting towards the, going towards the end of the chapter, Jesus says to his disciples, do you understand this? Yes, so I think if we want to ask the question, how is it that uh, the authority and the kingship of Jesus 
can uh, expand in our lives, we have to very simply say, we need to be willing to listen. We need to take the time to listen. We need to be also willing, once we hear and once we understand, we need to be willing to obey. All the Bible studies in the world, my dear friends, and all the fellowship, and all the worship meetings in the world, and all the going to church, and all the Christian education, and the Christian Sunday school, and the catechism, and the sacraments are not going to do any good if we don't have desire. We have to start with desire. We have to have that desire. And if we have that desire, we will be willing to listen. I think secondly, we learn something from the pearl of great price. And that pearl of great price, uh, we have two, again, almost word pictures here. We have the story of the kingdom of heaven is is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. So look, secondly, if there's no sacrifice, if we're not willing to sacrifice, and we're not willing to be urgent, there's not going to be any of this growth. Yes? For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, it's urgent business. Yes? His... uh, Uh, activity, his presence and power amongst us uh, and amongst others is a matter of urgency. Nothing to do with him coming back soon or not coming back soon. I don't know when he's coming back. It's because he looks upon us and he looks upon his creation and he sees that we are sick and that we are being destroyed not only by our own devices and our own passions, but we're being destroyed destroyed by the devil and he, he wants to begin that rescue and so these two little word pictures or parables as they're called in this case yes stress yes the need to sacrifice maybe the need for discipline and also a certain uh, a certain need for urgency I think the other thing that we may by the way we may be very careful of is that, uh, if I can use the analogy, the pearl or the treasure that someone finds in a field most likely was in a box of one kind or another. And it's very easy for us to love the box more than the treasure. It's easy for us to love the church, to love the worship. It's easy for us to love the doctrine or to love our political party Yes, or even our nation state more than we love with what's inside the box. And what's inside that box is the kingdom of heaven. Well, some people might say, no, it's Jesus. Okay, we won't split hairs because the kingdom of heaven has to have a king. And that king is King Jesus. Okay, that king is, uh, that king is King Jesus. And I think finally, when we read the par- parable, about the fish, people who are fishing along the shores of the, uh, of the Canaret or the Sea of Galilee would often put out a fish, put out a net at night, a drag net, uh, and then during the day they would raise the net and pull it in 
And uh, the bad fish, maybe they were small, maybe they were a catfish who were not kosher, those fish would be, uh, cons- would be thrown out because they were not considered to be good. Finally, there is a judgment. Yes, there is a judgment. All of us will be held accountable. And that judgment in this, we read in 13 here, chapter 13, is in the context of, yes, of the kingdom of heaven. What we do in the kingdom of heaven, yes, how we respond, yes, how we partner uh, with the Holy Spirit. Do we actually uh, focus on those things that are important or do we spend most of our energy on the golf course or at the bridge club or, you know, arguing with, uh, you know, with folks uh, about the, the color of the Sunday school room. We will be judged and we'll be held accountable. You might say, I'm saved. It's all about grace. Grace not only saves us, my dear friends, but to quote Dallas Willard, grace has uh, immobilized us. It has made us passive. Uh, and somehow we think we don't have to exercise effort. Or somehow we think, just because I'm going to heaven, I won't be held accountable. Yes, I won't be, uh, I won't have to stand before the Lord. And while God is loving, and he's just, and he's merciful, yes, at the same time, we will all have to give an account. Yes, and I don't think any of us want to be ashamed. I think all of us would like to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the challenge for all of us, no matter what we're doing and what we're called to do, yes, the challenge is to allow God's presence in our life, yes, to be like that mustard seed, to continue to grow, to be like that yeast and to continue to expand, and to cooperate, you know, with the Holy Spirit uh, in the work of uh, extending this kingship to other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which come to us in stories, we pray that these stories and parables, again, will be real to us. We pray that they will instruct us and encourage us. And most of all, Lord, we pray that they will help us to make a decision. Yes, that we won't be bystanders, that we won't be passive. But instead, we pray that uh, we will uh, make the right effort and do the right thing, knowing that uh, once we do, you will come and give us all the grace we need uh, to walk in a way, to live in a way that pleases you, Lord, and glorifies you. And Father, we do ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.